0: What are these different types of empathies, you know, the cognitive, the emotional, what do they look like at different ages and stages of life?
1: Okay, great. So the first thing I want to point out, I'm going to start with cognitive empathy. It's a little bit easier, I think, in a certain way. Cognitive empathy is really using, you'll know about the words that we use. I understand what you're you're experiencing. I, I hear that. I understand that. And you're using language and you're articulating things in a very, very concrete way. Now, very often it's correct it's not it doesn't it's not that what that it's not that that's wrong it's just that it's much more intellectual very often it's problem solving. We have a component on this test actually it's called affective forecasting can i can i do I know the mechanics of emotion such that if a person's is expe- experiencing a and I put b in the place, c will result all cognitive
0: Welcome back to another episode of Raising the Jews next door—it's an absolute pleasure. We have the the amazing pleasure to uh, to be sitting and talking with Rabbi Doctor Alex Mondro, who has wears so many hats. It's incredible. He main, maintains a private practice in Shalim and in Teenek. That's incredible. And he also is the mental health advisor at YU at at YU's REITs, you know, a Smicha program where he trains students in pastoral skills, emotional intelligence. He's also the head psychologist for NCSY Summer. Um, and he and he and he's a he's a lecturer on on so many topics related to Torah, psychology, the intersection of the two, and, and and parenting. He teaches widely on the topics related to Torah, psychology, and the intersection of the two, and and I've heard him speak many times on parenting as well. So uh, thank you so much, really, for for taking the time to speak with us. I know that your your, your schedule is jam packed, and really appreciate you making the time for us.
1: I'm grateful to be here and I'm glad we could get our, our schedules connected, even with the uh, with the time difference, which is
0: great. Yes, yes, for sure. For sure. So, so, you know, we, we're in this third episode now of, of parenting styles. And, you know, I know that within the research, there are typically, you know, either three or four, depending on, you know, how people look at it, different types of parenting styles, um, which we spoke at length about in episode one. Um, I guess beyond those four, I've heard you speak about, uh, you know, I don't know if you'd call it a style or, or a different variation within, you know, a, a way of parenting called empathic parenting so i'd love to, to you know dive right into that what, what exactly does that mean
1: it's a great observation um what, what i found after as you mentioned uh, different uh, t- parenting styles that really the, the parenting style that's the most uh, the most successful in terms of the way we want to raise our children is the authoritative style and really that balances two important qualities. One is that we make demands of our children, the certain expectations that we have, we call parental demandingness, but also a certain responsiveness that we have towards our children and to so their needs, to who they are as individuals. Sure. And what what I found over a lot of years of both reading literature, working with working with families parents and children but perhaps most importantly being a parent myself and and also teaching in classrooms is that there's a unique role that empathy plays in accomplishing the goals that are set out as an authoritative parent
0: uh-huh interesting okay so what so what what does that mean what do you what do you what do you mean by that
1: so I'll think as well, i think in order to really understand it fully sort of take a step back understand the exactly what empathy is. We use the word empathy a lot. There's a tremendous amount of literature on empathy, both in the psychology world and the business world. And in one of my hats that you mentioned, so I'm also the mental health counselor for the rabbinical students at So we administer a, it's essentially a test called the Mesquite, which is the Mare Salovey Caruso emotional intelligence test. And they have different constructs. They look at different, they have a certain unique definition of emotional intelligence. And, and in the context of that emotional intelligence, they make clear that there are different types of empathy which we wouldn't necessarily think of. We sort of think of empathy. It's empathy, whatever that means. You can ask me what that means. You think people can think for themselves, what does that mean? I don't want to put you on the spot, but I would ask you, how would you define empathy?
0: I always assumed empathy meant, you know, being able to fully relate to someone else's feelings, kind of like the saying of walking a mile in someone else's shoes and really understanding not just what they are going through, but really their feelings and what they're, you know, everything going on internally for them.
1: Right. That's great. And so we're, even, even in your sentence, we're going to actually, I would pull apart that sentence. You use the word walking in their shoes, experiencing what they're experiencing, but also you use the word to understand. It's a very intellectual sort of cognitive kind of functioning. And so one of the things that these, these test writers, which I've learned since is really not just them, but it's really two different constructs is there's really something called cognitive empathy which is like you said, the ability to understand what somebody else is going through, what I call the mechanics of emotions. I can see it. I understand it. I can even articulate it. I can tell you exactly what you're experiencing because I'm putting myself into your head, into your experience, but it's really like an intellectual kind of uh, function. And then there's something perhaps even more important, sometimes more difficult, not necessarily, depends on the person, which we call emotional empathy. It means Mm -hmm. literally being able to experience to some degree And there's a lot of neuropsychology, mirror neurons that reflect this idea. We're essentially experiencing to some degree what the person across from us is experiencing. And they're really two different, they serve two different roles and they're two different skills. And
0: I feel like the, the, the Torah, when the Torah uses the concept of no se o javero, they use the word no mm-hmm. se, you're, you're really carrying it because it's it, that, that emotional right. concept of not just being able to spit back, okay, I, I see what correct. you're going through, but it's like really being able to carry it with you. Like I'll carry it, the burden really with you. It's, it's exactly
1: correct. You, you literally are experiencing the emotion, sharing the emotion with the person, but it's very important also to know that it's not just a negative emotion. I mean, it's not just, you give the example no that typically that's a, that's a negative connotation, sort of like a right. challenging emotion, but it's also a positive emotion. I would say, I always say, like, it's also like no se besimcha's chavero, but being able to also carry the simcha of someone, you know, go to a, a wedding and being able to really experience their their, their simcha, the simcha, the chasin, and the kala. And that's challenging in its own way, because like, you know, the very famous Ramban, and then the, in person, and being in a of Kedoshim, Recha Kamoha, being able to experience something as though it's happening to somebody else, putting aside all other considerations, jealousy, etc., and being able to experience that, that's also in a way an empathic expression. But it's a, totally. it's a joyful expression, not a negative right? not a right. sad expression. So, totally. so what I found over, over the years is that, if you read, if you go in order, really, if you read the books that I found have been effective for parenting, you see a theme that empathy plays an outsized role. That, especially when it comes to emotional empathy, the idea that we can communicate to a child that I'm with you, that I'm feeling and experiencing what you're feeling. And Using that as a springboard to connect with a child to communicate with a child, and then ultimately again, it's a tool it's not it's not going to be the end goal, but it's something right. that affects how we relate to our children, how our children relate to us, how we communicate to our children, with our children, how they re- communicate with us, and then it opens a whole world of relationship and it also opens the world of all the next steps that follow afterward, including the pieces of cognitive empathy that are really totally about understanding what the child's experiencing, but it has to first start, I think, with emotional empathy.
0: It's interesting that you say that because my, from my perspective, and I feel like most people typically think that really the first thing like, is, the, is the cognitive empathy, being able to say back, here's what I, I see what you're going through. I know what you're going through and just be able to say it. But you're saying first and foremost, you, just have, you have to really plug yourself into to what they're really going through in, in, a, in a very real way. And then the cognitive empathy can come afterwards. You
1: know, the way that I view it, and it's an, it's an important question because sometimes it is important to jump into the cognitive empathy. The cognitive empathy takes a different expression, which we'll talk about in, in a moment, but, but I'll give you an example. I'll give, I'll give you two examples. Imagine you have a little child. You're, you're at a park on a Shabbos, and you have a, two, a two-year-old, three-year-old child. You see your child. She, she or he is running along and falls and scrapes their knee. Mm. You know they're going to be fine. It wasn't, it wasn't a horrible fall. It's a small scrape. They come to you and screaming, Abba, Abba, Mommy, whatever they're coming to you with, right? right and so right. you'll notice that there are kind of two different ways that a parent can handle that. So one way, if you take the cognitive empathy, it's sort of like, you know, you know, you know the child's fine. And the child parent will say, you'll hear this. You're okay. You're going to be okay. Let's go put a Band-Aid on it. Now, if you're a child in that moment, what are you going to say to your father? What are you going to say to your mother? You're going to say, are you crazy? Did you just see I just fell? Did you see what happened? Look at my leg. No. Right. Most, two-year-olds are not right. that, most two-year-olds are not that articulate, but, <laughs> but instead, you know, but instead there's a different way to handle it, which is the emotional empathy, which is just, there, there aren't even any words necessarily. Yes. It's just the child falls, they're crying, you know exactly what's going on, but you meet them where they're at. You come and you just say, wow, that was such a fall. The mm. child took, out of gets it. You give them a hug. Right. You can literally feel a physiological change. You can feel right. the heart that was racing so fast when they were crying suddenly like. If you, you can feel the heart rate slow down, you can feel the muscles in a child's body just relax because Abu or Mami is there and get, And usually, you don't even need to put the bandaid on. They're just going to be like two seconds later, they're back onto the swing set. They're back onto the onto the jungle gym. Right. right. That's right. the emotional.
0: I feel like people people's initial reaction is always like, "Oh, are you okay? Or what happened?" But.
1: Right. Just to say,
0: wow, that must have, that, that looked like a very serious fall or that, that looked like that really hurt. Like that's, it's just, it, it just, they, <laughs> and, feel, and much hurt. they feel like
1: they're really. Exactly. They feel hurt. but the word you use is great. It looks like we have to be careful because we don't want to, we don't want to assume we know what they feel. So I use the words like look like the word seems is a great word if you're in an emotional context, but with a child that young, you don't need to use that word. They just understand that they, they, mommy or Abba is there, but I'll tell you let, let's give an example with the older children also. Uh, a, a young man comes, you know, comes into the office. Already, a child who's not two but maybe twenty-two, you know, comes into the office, and they're having a certain struggle in their life, and their way of, let's say, looking at the world might be different than the way their parents look at the world. And the parent really does know, ultimately, what is going to be best for the child. And I really believe that they, they, they have, in this particular instance, they, in this not all instances, but this is, they, they know. But the child first needs to be heard on his or her own terms. So child's having a struggle with a certain decision or a certain situation in life. And they come to their parent. And if a parent comes and jumps in with a cognitive empathy, so to speak, they understand. They jump in. You're filling this. And if you put this into place, this is going to be a solution. And we're going to, you know, it's like the mechanics. So they have all mapped out and you're going to be done. You're going to be fine. But really what the child first needs in order to have a relationship and also to actually hear those steps that the parent's going to share. The first thing the parent, the child needs to hear really is, wow, I, I hear what you're saying, but that, that's hard. That's a hard situation that you're in. Well, let me understand better. Let, let me try to bounce back to you if I'm understanding you correctly. Now, I'm, not under, I'm just trying to let them feel heard and to really, really try to experience what they're sure. experiencing. And that, first of all, allows me to put myself into their shoes. It will allow me to get better information and better suggestions moving forward. But also, more importantly, allows them to feel a connection to me. That mm. it's not just, oh, dad or mom coming and imposing on me their worldview, but rather they're connecting right, right. with me. They're giving me the respect to say, well, these are your feelings. This really is a struggle for you. I- I'm with you. Right. Now let's, let's figure out the next steps and let's, now now we can plan forward. But first,
0: totally.
1: first emotion, the emotional. Energy.
0: Sure. So I guess what, if we can get like. A little more into the, dive a little deeper into each of them. What are they, what are these different types of empathies? You know, the cognitive, the emotional, what do they look like at different great. ages and stages of life?
1: Okay, great. So the first thing I want to point out, I'm going to start with cognitive empathy. It's a little bit easier, I think, in a certain way. Cognitive empathy is really using, you'll know about the words that we use. I understand what you're, you're experiencing. I, I hear that. I understand that. And you're using language and you're articulating things in a very, very concrete way. Now, very mm-hmm. often it's correct. It's not. It doesn't. It's not that. What that is. It's not that that's wrong. It's just that it's much more intellectual. Very often it's problem solving. We have a component on this test actually. It's called affective forecasting. Can I? Can I? Do I know the mechanics of emotion such that if a person's expi- experiencing A, and I put B in the place, see a result all cognitive.
0: When is it okay? Or when is the right usage of cognitive then?
1: So let's come to that in a minute first. Let me explain, let me contrast cognitive versus emotional. Then I'll map out a little bit more of how I would see a process going. So um, emotional empathy oftentimes doesn't need any words. It's an amazing thing. Emotional empathy is more about communicating to the person across from you that I'm with you and that I'm feeling what you're feeling. And that can be purely based on body language with absolutely no other words used it's an amazing thing. And so when I teach the guys in, in Samicha a lot about these things, and I, and I teach parents, I teach them to be aware of just how their body looks. So, for example, I'm sitting back. I'm, I'm talking with you in a conversation. We're sitting. It's a very comfortable conversation. But if you were to say something to me, even, even on Zoom, even on a with a camera, you can notice the difference. And I lean into you. And I'm like, wow, I hear what you're saying. You suddenly, you see the shift. You can feel almost right. the, the difference in the, in the way the communication just happened. When, totally. when a person when a person sits with their shoulders open versus when they lean in, what their face looks like, you know, for years, we never kind of knew exactly what our faces looked like. But until, until about three years ago, we started looking at a camera all day. We sort of realized I know every nuance of how my face looks. That's what our children are looking at. And, and even just saying, just saying, wow, no words, just saying the word, wow, or oh my gosh, that looks like it really hurt. Like you said, the example you gave where, where it's not about, giving language to the experience is about sharing the experience and then if we need to mirroring back that we understand that we're experiencing it the correct way but the first connection is one of communicating in some way that i'm with you and that i'm sharing the experience with you now to move to to your question so when you know how does it work in terms of in terms of steps so it's important i i always clarify the parents this is a tool meaning what do you mean by a tool? it's a skill there are sometimes when it's called for, sometimes when it's not. And that might be sort of too broad of a conversation, you know, for today. We'll see if we can, as, we, as we move forward. But, okay. but almost always, I find that if someone's in a difficult situation or if someone's, in a, if someone's in any type of challenge, any type of contention, if the initial step is the emotional empathy and the child feels that the parent is with him or her, Mm-hmm. That then opens the doors for all the next steps. So I'll give you an example. You know, there is there's an approach which we can talk about now. We we'll talk about later. That's developed by Ross Green out of Harvard. It's a book called mm-hmm. The Explosive Child. Some of you've, you've heard of it. And in it, the title is is a little bit uh, of a, a little bit misleading because it doesn't only apply to explosive children. He wrote the book because right. he's addressing explosive children. But the truth is that we can right, right. apply it to all of our children and all of us. In in, in so many ways, and it's expanded into the classroom as teachers and things like that, where there's sort of a multi-step approach that sort of works like this: that we start with empathy. If a child is acting in a way that is over the top, they're exploding about something, they're having a tantrum about something, they're in distress about something. If the first thing that we do is connect to them via an emotional empathy, Mm -hmm. then we feel together, then. They feel heard. They feel like you're with them, not without imposing from the top.
0: Right, right. And that's even, so, let's say, for like a, a, a two-year-old or, or that's only when we're talking no. about like middle school, high school age.
1: Right. And I mean, look, at, at every age, you're going to apply the tools, you know, at different, different levels. You know, of course, you know, a two-year-old is not the same as a 22-year-old, even if we apply the same principles. But, but the principle itself ultimately is the same. So mm-hmm. the example that I gave you about a child on the, on the playground. So we're still using the same idea of starting with emotional empathy. I, I right, example, right. if, if a child is, you know, two, three years old is, is in the, in the supermarket is crying about a candy bar, candy bar that they uh, strategically place just to make it difficult for parents, you know, as you're checking out. <laughs> and, you know, they're also, you know, you, you meet the child, you say, wow, like I see you, you really wish you could have that candy bar, you know, and the child feels heard. Very often, just the expression that you've, you mommy or daddy gets it, and and they and you really explain. It. I've done nothing. I've just expressed to the child, like you, you really want that candy bar, right? The child, the child will calm down. Now at the end, at the end, of the, at the end of the day, you're not going to give in. The empathy doesn't mean giving in. It's just a way of connecting initially, and communicating in a respectful way to the child too, and that applies on different right. levels. But then that's not. That's just the beginning. Then again, we have to move past that. So for example, in, in Ross Green's approach, so you'll empathize, but then only when, in the way that I sort of interpreted a little bit of Shabbat Pes that, I felt the child will connect and will feel that we're connected in a certain way. Then mm-hmm. what can happen is now they're also able to hear my concerns. if I'm able to both be empathic mm-hmm. emotionally. And then, now, if we walk through the steps a little bit quickly here, but if you walk through his steps, so you're basically from emotional empathy and then to a cognitive empathy. You say, I understand what you want. And you connect with them. They feel you're with them. Then you explain to them, you know, on their terms what they're saying to you. But now that they feel like they've been heard and that, and that you're connecting with them, you can now say, well, let me tell you my concerns.
0: Right, right.
1: And then the ultimate goal is then to, to problem solve together.
0: Right. Meaning a child's only going to be able to listen if they first feel heard.
1: Realistic. Exactly. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Correct.
0: I'm curious, you know, in terms of, in terms of discipline, meaning like, like in, a, in an example where, and you were just, you know, you mentioned this briefly just now through like the, you know, the candy bar example. Well, let's say, you know, a child, I guess, like if we go a little more extreme, let's say a child is, is doing something wrong. So. Is there a moment to first be empathic and understanding, okay, I understood why you did that, but now we have to, there is a, there's a discipline or, or if you do that, does that undermine the discipline? Like, I'm, I'm just curious, like, how does discipline play a role here?
1: Right. So, so it's hard, you know, it's like the, the question, even as you're asking it is, is not even a question that I link, you know, in terms of empathy. Now I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. When I, when I give parenting classes, so very often parents expect the first thing to be is to be about discipline. And it's usually like, I'm not exaggerating. Like if I give like a six part series, it's like the last half of the sixth part, you know, meaning that discipline, it doesn't, it almost doesn't relate to this in the sense that there's so many other steps that come before discipline that it, 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 you know, the goal and and I feel pretty strongly about this is that the goal is not to have to punish, not to have to to discipline. Right Right. now that's not to be confused with setting limits. It's not to be confused with having expectations But discipline is also a tool, but it's like not a goal in and of itself. It's only valuable if it serves an educational role. So it almost doesn't relate to the actual empathy itself. And it's important to know that empathy is not giving in, meaning empathy is is a way of connecting and communicating with a child, understanding a child. But it serves almost as a a way of relating that allows us in a more healthy way to set healthier limits. And sometimes the discipline too.
0: Got it. Got it. Got it. So you you mentioned that this is only the first step and that there's many other steps. So what, so let's go through, I guess, if we can go through, what are the different steps?
1: Right. So every situation is different. You know, it's important to know, you know, it's obviously it's in one podcast, you can only cover so much. (laughs) I just find that the, that empathy serves multiple roles. So in one scenario, in terms of multiple steps, you have, you have Ross Green's model. So Ross Green's model, which is called the collaborative problem-solving model. So empathy is one step, and then it goes into empathy, and then and problem-solving is the end goal. The goal ultimately is to be empathic, connect, express their needs, have them express your needs, and then come to solutions together, which is very healthy because, but but that's, again, it's, it's hard to sum it up just in, you know, in a few moments, but that's all predicated on the fact that you have a clarity beforehand which I want to point out, this doesn't apply in every scenario. So right. even in, in Dr. Green's model, so there are certain things that are not negotiable. They're not there's not the time for empathy. You see, God forbid, a child about to run in the street, you're not going to say, oh, you know, I see, I, f- I feel you wanted the ball in the street. You just yell. You, say, you don't want the kid, God forbid, to get hit by a car. There's no, it's not, it's not empathy here. And then there are certain times on the other side where there are issues that are, are, not, are not negotiable in the other direction, that a child's not ready yet to have put upon them, uh, child's right. not ready right. yet to to be able to because they're emotionally not ready, cognitive developmentally. There's so many different reasons why they why they may not be ready. That's an example where empathy serves as a tool in one direction. Empathy serves another role. You know, the it's important. There are many theories. We don't always think of it in this way. But how do we play with children? And so again, I see this theme, and in, 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 if you see it through a certain lens, where. We're playing with children, but there's a, there are techniques that talk about playing with children essentially on their terms. What I, I call empathic play. I mean, it's not because right. I want to do it, but it's purely because the child wants to do it, and the child leads the entire experience. And that is so valuable for a child. It, it communicates to them a certain belief in them, a certain self-esteem, and a certain beauty in the relationship. And it's it shows that that we are. We're so we're so eager to meet with the child on their terms, not because I have something that I want to accomplish with the child, yeah. and that's, what is that, so, what does that that's mean? so beautiful.
0: Like what what does that in mean like in, in practical terms? Meaning I'm playing playing with the child for what they need. Meaning I, it's, it's, I'm assuming what you're saying is more than just playing the game that the child wants to play. But you're, it, it's a, it seems like there's right. there's a, a level of depth to that.
1: Right. So there are, there are a couple of ways that I that I intended it. So number one is that you know sometimes parents will play with a child just so that almost like a trade. Like if you play with me, then if, if I play with you, then, then we can go study for your Gemara test or you can study for your yeah. math test. There's right. a, uh, there's a beautiful essay. There's a beautiful essay that was published that Revara Amulstein, Lichtenstein was one of Racha set over in Yeshiva and it was published on, on the, online. It's very easy to find where he talks about just the joy of playing ball and riding his bike with his children. And he said, That if I remember correctly, that one of the students approached him afterwards and gave him the hint that it sounded like he was playing with them in order so they would learn with him. And he was very, very clear to disabuse the audience of that notion. Absolutely not. I put up my child because that's what a father does, because that's how we connect. There's such a beauty to that. And what follows from that, playing just for for play's sake, it's such a beautiful, uh, such a formative moment in a relationship that a parent has with a child. And it also... It also communicates to a child a certain sense of self-esteem that what I'm interested in is valued by my parents as well. And sometimes it's a little bit of a stretch. Sometimes, you know, parents have to push themselves. You know, I'm really not so interested in that. But you're not saying this out loud. You're saying this to themselves. You know, really not so interested in that. But, you know, it, not it's for him. It's not, it's not for me. There's no quid pro quo. And that's how we develop a right. relationship. But it also it, it also it also it serves there 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 are actual directed plays There's it an approach to uh to play you can find a lot of resources online called p c i t parent child interactive therapy mm-hmm. there's a whole therapy that 's based on how a parent plays with a child and it it 's all about a child having pure positivity and it can only be it can be for as little as five minutes, which is a crazy thing five ten minutes. And I've seen it in action, we actually were trained in it, we, did it in a, we were trained in the classroom, we did practica and, and, and these types of interventions, and cool. parents keep a log, we're talking five minutes a day, five, ten minutes, and without exaggeration, five or ten minutes, where there can be no critique, no questioning, there are very clear guidelines, where a child feels that it's pure positivity, child directed play. They're building, mm-hmm. as an example, they're playing with Lego. They train the parent. They literally will put, um, the, there's a laboratory behind the, a one-way mirror. They'll put AirPods in the parent's ear. They'll coach a parent how to play with a child. And right. they'll give directions. Like, you're, just, you're, you're, you're supposed to be a sportscaster. You're just going to describe, wow, you're putting the green piece on top of the red piece. That's really tall. You can't even ask the child what it is because that's what the child right, in, right. and it, It's a dose of positivity that gives the child a certain sense of self-esteem. And in a sense of complete and total parental attention positive mm-hmm. attention which a child with all children need to varying degrees but again really? it's empathic in the sense that it's purely from the child's perspective
0: right and, right, a,
1: and a, totally a parent has to sort of check their own perspectives at the door which is not always so easy
0: yeah yeah totally totally Wow okay so so that's 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 the thats that's the step within the within that model within within I've within ross's model right
1: well that's in, within within dr green's model is the is the collaborative problem solving and the pcit is right. the one with chill based out of florida state yeah
0: got it got it okay got it got it and in terms of you know if let's say a parent is trying is trying to be empathic but it's just it's not their it's not their it's not within their norm it's not something that they're so used to so you know, how, I guess, obviously in a way, it means that it's going to affect the children, that the children's not going to have necessarily the same type of relationship with that parent. But then what should the parents actually do? Meaning it's not, right. it's not, it's just not really working for them or, or or they just don't know how to do it. So what, 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 should, what then at that point should a parent do, especially if let's say the other, you know, the other, the, the, the that the person's partner is more, you know, you know, much more empathic. So, you know, what, what would you recommend in that type of situation?
1: So, so I'll, I'll address them in a couple of points. First of all, I think it's a great question. I think that I like to just take a step to, to pause and, and sort of pan out for a moment. You know, parenting is hard and some of us are less equipped. Some of us are more equipped. You know, there, there, there are so many different reasons and so many different uh, causes and realities that that lead to that. And no parent is perfect. It's such such an important piece to, you know, to, to realize that we have to try our best and we, we have to be so careful as parents not to judge ourselves and not to, not to be down on ourselves. But at the same time, within this dialectic, we also have to try our best. We have to be aspirational in some form that if something really seems to be something that works, then we have to try our best to achieve it. So we have to live in that space. And... I think there are different ways with, where, in which different people connect. And it, I, almost in, when, I, when I work with parents in my practice, I almost always ask, let's, let's say I have a husband and a wife, mother and a father, meeting. I'll say, are you guys book readers? You know, mm-hmm. almost inevitably, one is and one isn't. You know, one right. will be like, yeah, like I have like six of these parenting books on my nighttime and I really read through them. And then the other spouse be like, I, I can't even, I can't even open the book. I can't even look at the title page, right. you know, and, and it's not, it's not father or mother. It, there's really no rhyme or reason, just personality and and so on. But I'll tell you, there, there are really wonderful books that I think that, that if a person's willing to, to really sit with and, and not just flip through, but really try their best. Uh, one we mentioned already, which is The Explosive Child by Ross Green another book which i don't i don't have in my office here but uh really the book probably the most important book that i would i would recommend for for parents to get actually is a book called between parent and child that was um originally published i think in the 1960s by someone named dr Chaim Mm ganat um Mm -hmm. dr ganat who i quote in all my presentations yeah he's i i will tell just for a moment a little bit of a background dr ganat uh, I'll tell you an interesting story. How did I come first to, to Dr. Gannat? There's uh, give a, a small shout out to Mr. Mike Friedman of Skokie, Illinois. About 20 years ago, I was a I was a new, a new father, a little bit less than 20 years ago, and he said to me, uh, "Alex, there's only one book you're going to need. That's the Dr. Gannat. That's it." I didn't know who he was. It was before Amazon was so easy access, but I filed it away. Okay, I said, you know mister. Friedman is not a, not a psychologist, but I said you know what let's let's just it somehow I made a roshim on me and my mind made an impression I thought about it and years later. I began to notice that the books that we're all familiar with how to talk so children will listen how to listen so children will talk these types of books uh they're all written by dr Gannat's students they're on the, and they're, yeah. they're essentially all dedicated to him too they're all his yeah, tommy yeah. dote or tommy dim and and they're all but, but but what happened was unfortunately Dr. Gennad, who actually served in I believe I think it's in Sahel in nineteen forty-eight. So he eventually went to Columbia's teachers college and, and so on, and got his doctorate and was a very, very big name in the States in the 1960s. He's a big television personality. I, you can actually find videos of him. He's hilarious. Yeah, um, I've
0: seen um, some videos. It's amazing. Yeah. He has some really yeah. like sharp lines. Yeah. It's really great.
1: Right. It's really entertaining, which, which is by the way, another way to learn. I'll so we'll come back to it in a moment. And so, but unfortunately, he, he had a long illness. And in the early 1970s, I think he was only 51 years old, so he passed away. But about 40 years later, his uh, his widow, Dr. Alice Gannott, republished... His book between parent and child, and you can find it on Amazon for eight nine dollars. You know, two thousand and two version or something like that. You can actually get other books also. but I don't think they were they were reworded. They're still excellent, and and you can read. Back to your question, you have to be able to study this and be able to think and reflect deeply on on what it means to to put these these things into action. A second way is to watch videos. Some people can't don't have the patience to read books. You can watch the videos. Another way, which is also really important, is, is to be able to, I would say, in two different ways. Number one is to, if, if you know that your spouse is, is more effective in this thing than you are, so you learn from them. And you know what? Sometimes you have to push yourself or there are certain situations where a parent has to tag out, you know, and sort of say, you know what, like, I'm going to let him or her handle it. That's okay. There's no shame in that. Right. It's a There's a lot of point. humility in parenting. You know, parenting, it, it, it demands and also engenders a lot of humility. And, and so sure to be able not. to tag out and say, you know, my spouse is better at this than I am. Okay. But sometimes you don't have that luxury for whatever the reason is. There are different, different, obvious different reasons why we don't have that luxury. So we have to grow on our own. So I meet a lot of parents in my practice and I coach them through it. And I'm, I imagine there are many clinicians who do that, where they, where they realize, you know, your child feels like you're really not meeting them where they're at. Let's walk it through. Let's go through this. What we're discussing now, but much more in depth. Let's, let's do real life situations. Let's, let's act it out. Let's work it through. And slowly, but surely parents realize, well, I can do that. You know, I have to push myself a little bit. That's my own personal growth. And I'll tell you as an aside, by the way, you know, this skill of empathy is not just for parents. You know, it's, it's for, it's good for relationships, and yeah. bias, yeah. uh, teacher, student, you know, things like that. And so I think those totally. are the three primary ways, I would say that a person through a fourth primary ways, which people can, can begin to develop it. And, and it starts totally. just by being aware totally. of the importance of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we spoke about it in, in a way of, of, we, we spoke a couple of examples that maybe applied, I guess, in a way to maybe more younger children. When, when a child gets older, does it change in any way or is it, is, I mean, I know it's the same, same basic principles, but in what ways does it, does the, does it shift in the, in the process itself?
1: When you say older, how, how old are you thinking? You're thinking,
0: uh, let's see 15, 15, 15 17, we'll say.
1: Right. Uh, it's interesting. You know, I think that in, in many ways it's the same, but in certain ways it's different. I think that, and I'll take a step back also, you know, it's very important that parents have a clarity to whatever degree they can of what their values are and also what their limits are, meaning that, that, that we have to be very clear as parents. Empathy does not mean anything goes. When Dr. Gannat likes to say it in a certain way where we respect and, we respect and honor all of the emotions, but the behaviors are not all okay. And, right. and we have to be very clear and we have to have a clarity that we communicate, which is in many ways easier to communicate to younger children. But as children get older, it's a little bit harder, but we have to have a clarity for ourselves of what our values are as parents. What are, what are the non-negotiable values that we think are non-negotiable? What are not even on the table yet? What are in between? Things like that. The, the truth is, is, as an aside, you know, as as, uh, as Jews, it's important to have that clarity with regards to halacha. There's a, there's a beautiful a beautiful observation that was um, Rabbi, Rabbi Noble, the grandson of Rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetzky, so he writes, I believe it's in his Sefer, he writes that uh, the Rav Yaka was very particular that people should have a clarity when they teach so that the children can know what's the Uraisa, what's the Rabbanan, what's a Minha, what's not even a Minha. We have to have a clarity of what, because of right. they have, we, we relate to them very, very differently. So Lahabdil yeah. in a certain way, it's like that with the parenting as well. We have, to have a certain clarity of what we're going in with. But then when it comes to, when it comes to kids as they get older, I think the, the demand that, that they feel heard and feel the connection of the parent is only greater. Mm. That sometimes that a child who feels, I mean, how many times can you imagine in our mind's eye that child's like, you don't, you don't understand me, you don't get it. So, but, it, but if one of two things can happen, either a parent can initially just be with the child without trying to articulate that they get it, in which case there's no room for that comment anyhow, or they can reply to a comment like that by saying, you know what, I hear what you're saying. Right, can you help right, me understand? Right. You know I think you're right. Can you help me understand that? Right. Like maybe I, maybe I don't Great get time. it. And, and the demand of the empathy I think is greater, but I think also the reward as we sort of move our way through the parent, the career of a parent, you know, until 120 doesn't really end. That right. idea right. That, a, that a child can say, like, my, my parents get me and they're with me, they're they're not necessarily the same thing right that stays with them and ultimately that empowers them to respect their own decisions to become independent and to become successful in their environment it becomes a foundation right. it's a, it's part of it it's not the only but it's it's a very important tool that i think opens a lot of doors to a lot of uh, to a lot of just very successful kind of kids in different
0: ways Totally, totally. Would you say that within this, you know, within this realm of you know emotional empathy, are there things that parents wouldn't even think to ask? Um, you know, just in general.
1: Well, well, the first thing again, just your question. I, I wouldn't necessarily even start with asking. I, I would just, just be. You know, it was, it's interesting. There is, in order to do this the right way, in order to connect empathically with anyone but certainly with a child and i would say even more certainly with like a middle school high school child it demands a certain presence mm-hmm. a parent needs to be you know we talk about it all the time about distracted parents they're on their phone they're on their this, they're on their that all yeah. different things which of course are so are so are so uh negative in terms of the interaction that we have with anybody but certainly with our parents but in order for a child to feel connected the first thing they need is to have a parent who's present and to be right. absolutely focused on, on being with the child in the moment. That's number one. And I, I cannot overstate, we talk about quantity time and all this, at the end of the day, quantity doesn't matter if there is no quality to it. If a parent's on their phone, right. if they, they think it's more negative, parents on their phone with their child, it's even more, it's even more disconcerting to the child. The child really yeah, needs to yeah. feel that the parent is with them in that, in that moment. And if you can't be, so you say, look, I'm, I'm very, very, I'm in the middle of an important call. I'm going to come to you in just this amount of time. And you keep your word and you follow through. But then when you're, you're with the child, one of the words that I think we mentioned it earlier, which I think is so important, is that if, if, if it's not enough that I'm just being with you, then we say, no, it seems like you really had a ridiculous day. Or you, you know, use a word that's very open-ended. And then and then, almost, not, I can't say always or often, but a child that opens the door for a child to either nod, to reflect right, that they right. get it, or to say, no, that person hurt my feelings. That, you know, that teacher, you know, and then it's so and important. It that comes, in, right. Exactly. And one thing that Dr. Gannat uh, often focuses on is, you know, very often parents are quick and we all have our own approach to emotions. So in that, in that moment of emotional empathy, there can't be any judgment. Very often, parents are hesitant to, to to validate that emotion. Well, you must have you you, know, you must have uh, uh, done something that you deserve to have the teacher say that. You know, mm-hmm. or that right. boy is so nice, he would never do that to you. Things like that, or or, or certain emotions for certain parents, we have to reflect are off limits. So it it puts right. sort of a uh, it's put, it's sort of a it puts sort of a limit a boundary on what emotions are allowed. A parent will say, "You can you can't say that." You, 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 can't be angry at, uh, at so and so. You can't be angry at, your, at you. Know, if it's a father talking, you can't be, you can't be angry at your mother. Now, again, just to respect the emotion. I, I'm not saying that they are allowed to act on the emotion,
0: right, but right.
1: to respect and validate the emotion and be cautious not to shoot down the emotion. That's part of being empathic and being with the child in totally. that moment. I find that in this first step, if parents ask too many questions, kids shut down. Well, tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. Tell me what, you know, what, what, which was, was it the teacher? Was it this boy? Was it the playground? And, and with, 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 you know, the, the child automatically retreats like a turtle in a shell. They shut down. Whereas at the first stage, it's just to, you're expressing it. I'm with you. Now the child feels okay. Physiologically, I'm a little bit more calm. Cognitively, I'm a little bit more calm. Now there's right, room right. to say, and you can even ask in terms of questions. Once the emotional empathy has sort of kicked in, there's this sort of a connection with the child. Now you can say, "Is so, it okay? I just dig a little bit to understand. I'm just, I just, I didn't catch that." So you mean the, the teacher said this to you, uh-huh. and then suddenly, if the child's ready, now they'll be able to share a little bit more.
0: Got it. But too I mean, many like questions. Like a child's not yeah. going to want to be interrogated on it. Like they don't want exactly. to feel like they're answering like a questionnaire. They want to feel like they're connecting with you.
1: Exactly right. And then, yeah, then of course you might need more information, but later, you know, and totally. you know, sometimes when, when the child's more calm and that part of their brain is more active, then you can begin, they, they may just share spontaneously, which I, it's funny, I get that from a lot of parents, especially with younger kids. If they're putting a child to sleep, like the lights are out, yeah. and of course the parent so was nothing more out. than <laughs> like, and you know the parents like, oh, I thought my night was over. I, I was, I had, all, I had my plans ready. That's it. We're, we're going out, whatever. And right, then suddenly, right. like, mom, do you know what happened in school today? And yeah. then, and, and it's it's an interesting thing because that's when children feel more comfortable they can suddenly share the things that they're struggling with and whatever right, happened, right. and also positive yeah. things too.
0: Totally, totally. It, and as we, as we wrap up, do you have any, any final message on this topic for, for our listeners?
1: Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, I would say, I would say like this, I think that we always have to remember a couple of things. One thing I just want to highlight that we said earlier, which is that being a parent is not easy. You know, it's, uh, it's really work. It's work for all different people in all different ways, but, but we have to continue to, to try our best. And, and there is no shame in looking for guidance. You know, I, I often tell people, I say, like, look, you know, I'm I'm trained to be a parent. Like I, I took graduate school classes, I took practica, I, I but 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 I also will reach out to my mentors when I need help because right. we all there's no shame in saying, look, you know, I I just need guidance. I don't know how to handle a certain situation, whatever it may be. That's number one. Right. I think it's so so important. And the second thing I would tell you is just always keep your eye on the prize, you know, which is that the reason why, going back to what you mentioned earlier in terms of discipline, discipline is not a goal in and of itself. It's simply a tool that we use if we have to. Right. So the Chazal say, The left hand pushes the way, but the, but the right hand that's strong is, is to bring the child close. Right, and right. if we're successful in doing that, if we're able to, to really create that relationship with our children, and first of all, I think it's it's an it's amazing it's an amazing thing for an a ap- parent to be blessed too. We should all be blessed, as Rath Hashem, to to experience that. But also, I think it gives children that strength to go and sort of conquer the world. You know, to be able to know right. that I have that secure attachment, that I have that connection. Now I can go. You know, I can I can go and be independent, which is you know one of the one of the I think important. Uh, research results of being an authoritative parents that they have children have a certain level of confidence, they have a certain level of resilience. Right.
0: And if right, it's right.
1: founded on a, on a healthy connection with parents, where parents respect their child's emotions, they connect on the emotional level, I think it's uh, something that's really, really special and something that we can keep our eye on as, you know, as we make our way through the uh, this, uh, this beautiful blessing of uh, parenting.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. This was incredible. This was a really, really insightful conversation. I personally gained so much and, uh, I really can't wait to share this with everyone because this is, uh, this is, this is really, really fundamental to parenting and, uh, really, really a major thank you again.
1: Okay, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. I really appreciate
0: it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Jews Next Door. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. I'd love to hear your takeaways. Reach out to us. Reach out to me at yair at genoff.org. Hi at jenoff.org. You can check us out on the website. You could leave a question there. We'd love to be in touch. Please be in touch. Check us out on Instagram at ParentingTheJewsNextDoor. Hit me up on Twitter at YairManshell. And we got, we're got on TikTok now, too. We have some great content, a lot of really great insights into parenting, tips, parenting pointers, reaction videos, and quotes. We have a lot going on. We have a lot of articles. You want to check it out. Check it out at jenoff.org. You won't be sorry you did. And I look forward to hearing from you. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, make sure you subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Looking forward to another great episode next week.